Hi Brickies, I'm Dominic, the last one standing with a kink for cannibalism. And I'm Kate, the resident phobia expert who also hears voices. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about stuff that scares us. Ripping a few laughs and survival tips along the way. As always, please subscribe, rate and review us. And don't forget to follow us on the socials at Shit and Bricks Podcast. Like the morning after a night on the curries and cans, here it comes. So drop your ducks, pop a squat and let's get into it. All over it. All like over shit it. on Velcro. <laughs> shit on Velcro. <laughs> yeah, you try and clean shit out of Velcro. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll make sure I try that this weekend. Thank you. Give it a tip. go. You're welcome. Hot tip. Just the tip. Hi, Kate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Tom. I've just scheduled some puberty at the moment. You know, I thought it was about time Perfect. I joined adulthood. Yay! I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Let me know how it goes for you. It sucks. Being an adult sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to share a little bit why, about why your voice may be the way that it is? Sure. Why not? No, okay. sh- no shame here on Shitting Bricks. <laughs> No way. Um, yeah, so this past weekend, if you missed it, if you missed our episode last week, I th- think I mentioned that I'm going to a stag party in Amsterdam, uh, as you fucking do, and uh, I'm the best man for my oldest friend, uh, Ian. He lives in Ireland, but he, he's, he, he and his mates wanted to go to Amsterdam, and, you know, what can go wrong in Amsterdam, really? Surely nothing. It's just a really low-key bed and breakfast kind of town, isn't it? Absolutely. Just a little nook, a little, yeah, a little hidey hole away in Amsterdam. Um, but <laughs> it was pretty much exactly forty-eight hours. I think I slept a total of two of those forty-eight hours. Um, before anyone asks, no one broke any bones. No one Excellent. got lost. No one. Good. Um. I'd arrested. say no one, yeah, no one got arrested. Um, Excellent. We got kicked out of a couple of places, but, you know, that's that's okay. Yeah. They're Irish. That's, that's low key. That's pretty normal, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, we had a great, great time. Uh, I'm a couple years older than I was when I arrived, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but I think Ian had a good time. The boys had a good time. Sorry, the lads. Fuck, they call themselves mm-hmm. lads. Um I taught them a thing or two. I'm, I'm Kate. Straight people, I love yous, all of you, but you you are some weird folk. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I had one joint in Amsterdam, and of course, you know, I'm like, you know, my lost I'm, the plot. I'm just exhausted, and I've lost my voice. It was great. I it was lovely. It was really, really good. Actually, could do with another one That's right awesome. now, but. Um, a joint or a bucks party? Sure, whatever. Sign me up. <laughs> whatever, I'm all of them. I'm here for hire. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm here. Apologies for my voice, folks, but you're just going to have to deal with it. Um, if you find me more attractive because of my voice, well, write in, let us know. Yeah, please do. Kate, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I haven't had quite as a an electric time as yourself. I am a bit tired today, but it's for very different reasons. Um, I have a really good book 
that I've been reading. And when I go to bed, um, I just read it for too long <laughs> and I haven't been getting my solid eight. Yeah. And uh, it's a real problem for me. Um, so it's just, I've done that two nights in a row, would you believe? Oh, this naughty wild. girl. <laughs> so I just have, you know, I've crashed a bit today and I was in a bit of a mood all day. So, you know, um, sorry to those that might have copped grumpy Kate. Uh, but too bad. Don't talk to me when I look have a sour puss. Um, it's your own fault. <laughs> but I've said uh, I will go to bed right after recording this and I will read my book. And then by the time I finish reading, it'll be about 9 p.m. and then I can sleep. Okay. I love how we're on the furthest extremes here. Like, uh, Yeah, absolutely. I know. <laughs> well, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. Housekeeping. And then we'll get into my story. Um, love it. Pretty stock standard. Folks, please go check out our Patreon. It's Shitting Bricks Podcast. A couple bucks a month keeps the lights on for Kate and I. Super appreciate you get access to free episodes, which we haven't done one in a while, Kate, so we need to do one of those. And uh, early access. And then we are definitely planning a special surprise live show tour-ish thing next year, early next year. And if you want to come to that, you're going to need, you know, discount codes, of course. So... That's right. Sign up. Be a patron. We love it. We love you. It's the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing is this week, Kate, we're going to feature a brand new member to the BooPod network. Um, Ooh. I know. Brand new. Never heard before, at least on Shitting Bricks. Um, It's this lovely, lovely woman, and I'm pretty sure her name is Anemone. Okay. Anemonemone. Anemonemony. Anemonemony from, you know, Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo. Um, and she, ta- like, her voice is so beautiful, very high-quality recording sounds, all that great stuff. And she tells uh, really spooky, bizarre tales from all over the globe. Uh, the name of the podcast is Certainly Strange. You can mm. go find them on all the socials, all the usual podcasting outlets. And here is their trailer. Enjoy. Attempted murder on a ghost, cursed paintings burning houses down, and lighthouse keepers disappearing without a trace. The world is filled with astonishing stories that will make you go and shrug, saying, Well, I don't know what's going on here, but it is certainly strange. My podcast, Certainly Strange, is a collection of these bizarre tales. Each episode I tell a separate story and share my own unfiltered opinions and theories about it. If this sounds interesting to you, come and join me on this journey through the strangest parts of our history. Oh, that was a good one. <laughs> Yay. So welcome to the Poopot Network and Neminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminiminimini
You have a sippy sip. I'll um, sing sippy sip songs. Mm. It's the sippy sip song. Dom's having a sippy sip. He's gotta keep his vocal cords in a shape. That's tippy top tip. Hey, that's all right. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> there you go. We'll do. I'll do the whole song for our Patreon. So <laughs> make sure you sign up. I'll write a whole song called Sippy Sip and sing it just like I did. Why would you want to pay for that? It's a good oh, good value for money. Amazing. Absolutely. I'd pay $4 for that. <laughs> okay, Kate. We've had a few weeks of, you know, loosey-goosey, nicey-nicey, ha-ha stories. We're going to get into the the deep, dark recesses of human history Depravity. right now. Depravity, yes. And welcome to the Nightmare Babysitter Part 1. Ooh, I love a multi-parter. Yeah, well, this one's pretty long and, uh, yeah, we're going to need a break halfway through. Perfect. So, Kate, let me introduce you to a lovely lady named Sylvia Likens. Hi, Sylvia. Welcome to the pod. Take a seat in the foyer. We'll be right with. Liz Truss will get you a coffee. She will. She She's is working the coffees. <laughs> <laughs> and she'll get you a little, uh, you know, a scotch finger, if you will, behind. Oh, ooh. Only half a one because she's conservative. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. Look at us. We're yeah. funny. All right. So Sylvia Likens was born January 3rd, 1949. Great year. And this story is widely regarded by Indiana, that's the state in the United States, Mm -hmm. is widely regarded by their citizens as the worst crime ever committed in their state and is being described by a senior investigator in the Indianapolis Police Department as the most sadistic case he has ever investigated in the 35 years that he has served on that police department. Well, this is right up our alley then. I know. Right into it. Right up it. But for this story, we first must go back and meet someone else. Let me introduce you to Gertrude Nadine Banaszewski. Oh, Gertie. Hello. Yeah. Welcome. Take a seat. Yes, just on the couch is fine, duh. Gertrude. I love that name. That's a great name. Now, she was also born in Indianapolis to Hugh Marcus Van Vossen Sr. and Molly Myrtle. All right. (laughs) These names are gold. Both of whom who were originally from Illinois and were of American and Dutch descent. Now, Gertie was the third of six children and her family was working class. On October 5th, 1939, Gertrude saw her 50-year-old father die from a sudden heart attack. Oh, poor Gertrude. That's sad. Six years later, she dropped out of high school at the age of 16 to marry 18-year-old John Stephen Banaszewski. All right, Johnny. And he was originally from Youngsville, Pennsylvania and was of Polish ancestry and with whom she had four children. Now, although John had a volatile temper and occasionally beat his wife, I love that it's just like casual. Oh, just occasionally. Oh, just every now and then. Not much. I hate it when people write like that. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. The two would remain together for 10 years prior to their first div- divorce. Divorce? Divorce. <laughs> yeah, they're getting divorced. Kate, it's all the it's German, okay. Dutch, English, 
I was speaking Italian last night at a restaurant. It's I I'm getting weird with my accent. Oh, no, I love it. Divorced. Okay, so count how many divorces we, we have in this story. Okay. <clears throat> now, following her divorce, Gertie married a man named Edward Guthrie. This marriage lasted just three months before the couple divorced. Shortly thereafter, Gertie remarried her first husband, John, with whom she had two more children. The couple divorced for the second time in 1963. I never quite understood that remarried Yes. Yeah. I mean, I've not been married once, so <laughs> I, you know, I'm not one to really testify, but I never got it. Yeah, Kate, we're, 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 newly, we're, we're married virg- virgins. Is that how you say it? We're um, pure. Yeah, we're pure. Sure. We're, pure. we're not pure. Oh, my God. <laughs> Tell you in a year or two when I get married how it goes. Yes, right? please do. Now, weeks after their third divorce, that's right. Wow. Th- third divorce. Three divorces. Yep. Gertie began a relationship with a 22-year-old named Dennis Lee Wright, who also physically abused her. Oh. She had one child with Dennis, uh, and they named it Dennis Lee Wright Jr. And shortly after the birth of their son, Dennis abandoned Gertie, and shortly thereafter, Gertie filed a paternity suit against Dennis for financial support of their child, although Dennis seldom contributed to the care of their son. She's not having much luck. No, she's not. Now, by 1965, Gertie lived alone with her seven children. Oh. Paula. That's too many. I know, right? I'm, I'm Bugger that. Yeah. Paula was the eldest, 17, Stephanie, 15, John, 12, Marie, 11, Shirley, 10, James, 8, Dennis, Jr., 1, Although 36 years old and 5 feet 6 inches in height, she weighed only 100 pounds, which is 45 kilos, okay? Whoa, she's tiny. Yeah, yeah. And she's been described as a haggard, underweight, asthmatic chain smoker suffering from depression due to the stress of three failed marriages, a failed relationship, and a recent miscarriage. Where did you get that from my IMDb? I was about to say, if that's what she puts on <laughs> Tinder Girl, you're not going to get a fifth oh, or sixth course. <laughs> divorce. Yeah, that's right. Now, in addition to the sporadic checks she received from her first husband, John, a former Indianapolis policeman upon whom she primarily relied financially to support her children, Gertie occasionally performed odd jobs for neighbours and acquaintances such as sewing or cleaning in order to earn money. Gertie resided in Indianapolis um, on East New York Street, where the monthly rent was $55. Whoa. Okay. It's not bad. I don't know what that's in today's money, but, you I know. can look it up. 65, $1965, $55. I'm going to guess that is $370. Okay. <gasps> Try again. Higher. Five hundred and twenty. Fifty-five dollars in nineteen sixty-five is equivalent in purchasing power to about five hundred and eighteen dollars and twenty-four cents in today's. A's. That was so good. Yeah, so five hundred bucks a month. <clears throat> Not bad. Not bad, but Still. it would have been a shitter, surely. Uh, and yeah. seven children living there. Exactly. All oh. right. So we've met and learned a little bit about 
our old mate Gertie. Let's go back to Sylvia, shall we? Okay. So, like I said, she was born in January 3rd, 1949. She was the third of five children born to carnival workers Lester Cecil Lykins and his wife Elizabeth Betty Francis. She was born between two sets of fraternal twins, Daniel and Diana, two years older than her, and Benny and Jenny, one year younger. <laughs> Look, I love some love me some alliteration. I don't know Same. why, but Daniel and Diana and then Benny and Jenny. That is so good. It would be easier to remember their names, I guess. True, very true. Now, Jenny Likens suffered from polio, causing one of her legs to be weaker than the other. She was afflicted with a notable limp and had to wear a steel brace on one leg. Now, Lester and Elizabeth's marriage was unstable. They often sold candy, beer and soda at carnival stands around Indiana throughout the summer. They moved frequently and were regularly experiencing severe financial difficulties. Mm. The Lycan's son regularly travelled with them in order to assist with their job, but Sylvia and Jenny were discouraged from doing the same out of concern for their safety and education. Good parenting. Good for them. As a result, both sisters frequently stayed with their relatives, often their grandmother. Now, in her teenage years, Sylvia Likens occasionally earned spending money by babysitting, running errands, or performing ironing chores for friends and neighbours, often giving her mother part of her earnings. She has been described as a friendly, confident, and lively girl with long, wavy, light brown hair extending below her shoulders, and was known as Cookie to her friends. Hey, Cook. Cookie. I love that name. That's so good. Now, although exuberant, Sylvia always kept her mouth closed when smiling due to a missing front tooth which she had lost while roughhousing with one of her brothers during a childhood game. Sounds like... (laughs) Sounds Sounds like like the Wilkinson's... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, she was also fond of music, particularly the Beatles. Good taste. And was notably protective of her markedly more timid and insecure younger sister. On several occasions, the two sisters would visit a local skating rink where Sylvia would help Jenny skate by holding her hand while Jenny skated on her unaffected foot. Nice. That's a sister, right? Yeah. All right. Now, in July 1965, Sylvia and Jenny resided with their parents in Indianapolis. And on July 3rd, their mother was arrested and subsequently jailed for shoplifting. Oh. Bit of a klepto, that's okay. If you're poor, you're poor and right. Yeah. Do what you gotta do. Now shortly make ends meet. Exactly. Now shortly thereafter, Lester arranged for his daughters to board with Gertrude, our other mate. Yep. The mother of two girls with whom the sisters had recently become acquainted while studying at Arsenal Technical High School. That was Paula and Stephanie were the two sisters that they were friends with. Now, at yep. the time of this boarding agreement, Gertie assured Lester she would care for his daughters until his return as if they were her own children. Well, she's got so many. No, oh, she's up now to she's nine. Now she's got nine. Yeah. I guess once you've got so many, they kind of want some of them take care of each other. They all just entertain yeah. themselves, right? I feel once, you, once you've got like five, what's another five? Hmm. Whatever. 
Now, shortly after the July 4th holiday, the sisters moved to the East New York Street in order for their father and later their mother to travel to the East Coast with the carnival, with the understanding that Gertie would receive weekly boarding fees of $20 to care for their daughters until they returned to collect Sylvia and Jenny in November of that year. So July, August, September, October, November. So it's a good, what, four or five months. Yep. Now, during the initial weeks in which Sylvie and Jenny resided at uh, the Banazuski household, the sisters were subject to very little discipline or abuse. Sylvia regularly sang along to pop records with Stephanie and she willingly participated in housework. So, you know, things were pretty normal. And both okay. girls also regularly attended Sunday school with the Banazuski children with their pastor commending Sylvia's piety. All seems pretty hunky-dory. Yeah. I feel like it's going to go off the rails, though. (laughs) If I haven't foreshadowed enough. Yeah, that's right. Here we go. Now, although Lester had agreed to pay Gertie $20 a week in exchange for the care of his daughters, after approximately two weeks, these payments failed to consistently arrive upon the prearranged dates, occasionally arriving one or two days late. Now, in response, Gertie began venting her frustration at this fact upon the sisters by beating their bare buttocks with various instruments, such as... Trombone, flute, (laughs) bass guitar, (laughs) snare drum. Oh, no, she's chasing me with the double bass. (laughs) Oh, not again, Gertie. (laughs) But, um... Now, one of these instruments was a one quarter inch thick paddle and she would make statements such as well i took care of you two little bitches for a week for nothing oh yeah it's not their fault exactly now on one occasion in late august both girls were beaten approximately 15 times on the back with the aforementioned paddle and after Paula had accused the sisters of eating too much food at a church supper the household children had attended it's the church supper, darling. She didn't even pay for that. Exactly. And the kids, Gertie, the kids, ate as much as you want. Just let them eat, yeah. Now, by mid-August, Gertie had begun to focus her abuse almost exclusively upon Sylvia, with her primary mm-hmm. motivation likely being jealousy of the girl's youth, appearance, respectability, and potential. According to subsequent trial... Test, trial, trial. Subsequent trial. Sub- subsequent trials testimony this abuse was initially inflicted upon sylvia after she and jenny had returned to the household from arsenal high school as well as on the weekends this initial abuse included subjecting uh, sylvia to beatings and starvation forcing her to eat leftovers or spoiled food out of garbage cans on one occasion sylvia was accused of stealing candy she had actually purchased herself On another occasion in late August, Sylvia was subjected to humiliation when she claimed to have a boyfriend in Long Beach, whom she had met in the spring of 1965 when her family lived in California. In response, Gertie asked if Sylvia had ever done anything with a boy, to which Sylvia, unsure of her meaning, replied, I guess so, and explained that she had gone skating with boys there and had once gone to a park on the beach with them. Like, these okay. are kids. They yeah, don't know things. what you're talking about. Yeah, I've done heaps of things. We went to the pictures and, you know, we went to the shop. Yeah. 
Oh, risky. Risky business. Now, continuing the conversation with Jenny and Stephanie, Sylvia mentioned that she had once laid under the covers with her boyfriend. And upon oh. hearing this, Gertie asked, why did you do that, Sylvia? And Sylvia replied, I don't know, and just shrugged. Yeah. They're kids. They're figuring stuff out. You don't know what you're doing. I was having a lie down. Why. Whatever. Now, several days later, Gertie returned to the subject with Sylvia, telling her, you're certainly getting big in the stomach, Sylvia. It looks like you're going to have a baby. Oh. Sylvia thought Gertie was kidding with her and said, yeah, it sure is getting big. I'm just going to have to go on a diet. Hmm. Okay. So Gertie then informed her and the other girls in the house that whenever they did something with a boy, they would be sure to have a baby. Oh, my God. She then kicked Sylvia in the genitals. <gasps> Whoa. Paula, herself three months pregnant and also jealous of Sylvia, Sylvia's physical appearance, then participated in attacking Sylvia, knocking her off her chair and onto the kitchen floor, shouting, you ain't fit to sit in a chair. Oh. On another occasion, as the family ate supper, Gertie, Paula and a neighbourhood boy named Randy Gordon Lepper force-fed Sylvia a hot dog overloaded with condiments, including mustard, ketchup and spices. Sylvia vomited as a result and was later forced to consume what she had <gasps> regurgitated. Oh, my God. That's the worst case scenario. Now, in what was likened Sylvia's only act of retaliation, she is alleged to have spread a rumour at the technical high school that Stephanie and Paula were prostitutes because she was upset with the household singling her out for similar accusations. Mm. I mean, if that, oh. it's a hard story to listen to, but I've got to go through it out of respect yeah. for Sylvia because it's just, yeah. No, now, absolutely. Yeah, I'd be slinging <coughs> mud too if I kept getting kicked in the fanny. Yeah. Now, <laughs> getting a fanny kick, it just hurts. doesn't matter. For guys, well, girls, anyone in between, any genitalia kicking is just, yeah, yeah. not cool. I was going to throw down the <laughs> the Aussie, it's not even Aussie, but the more colloquial term, um, which another word for kick is punt, and then the word that rhymes with that one. But I don't want to even say it. No. Use your imagination. Should. <laughs> See you next Tuesday. Now, while at school, Stephanie was jokingly propositioned by a boy who told her that Sylvia had started this rumour about her. And upon returning home that day, Stephanie questioned Sylvia about the rumour and she admitted to starting it. Stephanie punched her in response, but uh, Sylvia apologised to her in tears and Stephanie then also began to cry. So mm. I know we're talking about lots of different people, Kate, here, but it's important to remember the details here. Like, obviously, Gertie is just a sadistic piece of work. Paul is pregnant and seems to be following in her footsteps. She's the eldest. And Stephanie... Kind of participates, but also seems to have some empathy as well. <clears throat> However, when Stephanie's boyfriend, 15-year-old Coy Randolph Hubbard, heard of the rumour, he brutally attacked Sylvia, slapping her, banging her head against the wall and flipping her backwards onto the floor. And when Gertie found out, she used a paddle to beat Sylvia as well. It's like the whole bloody town has just gone, oh, you know, bit of domestic Sylvia's violence. On me. Yeah, she's on my shit list. 
On another occasion, Paula beat Sylvia about the face with such force that she broke her own wrist, having、oh. primarily focused her blows upon Sylvia's teeth and eyes. Later, Paula used the cast on her wrist to further beat Sylvia. Oh my gosh! Gertie repeatedly falsely accused Sylvia of promiscuity and of engaging in prostitution, ranting about the filthiness of prostitution and women in general. Gertie would later occasionally force Jenny to strike her own sister, beating Jenny if she did not comply. So Jenny is、mm. Sylvia's sister, right? She's not even yeah, the Benny Jenny twin. Yeah. Now Coy Hubbard, the boyfriend of Stephanie, and several、mm-hmm. of his classmates frequently visited the Banaszewski residence to both physically and verbally torment Sylvia, often collaborating with the Banaszewski's children and Gertie herself. Jesus, with Gertie's active encouragement, these neighborhood children routinely beat Sylvia. Sometimes using her as a practice dummy in violent judo sessions, lacerating her body, burning her skin with lit cigarettes in excess of a hundred times, and severely injuring her genitals. To entertain Gertie and her teenage accomplices, Sylvia was forced at one point to strip naked in the family living room and masturbate with a glass Pepsi Cola bottle in their presence. With Gertie、oh. stating to all present that this act of humiliation was for Sylvia to prove to Jenny what kind of girl you are. Yeah, that works. That's good therapy. Now Gertie eventually forbade Sylvia from attending school after she confessed to having stolen a gym suit from the school due to Gertie having refused to purchase the clothing for her. For this act of theft, Gertie whipped Sylvia with a three-inch-wide police belt. Gertie then switched her conversation to the evils of premarital sex before repeatedly kicking Sylvia in the genitals. As Stephanie rallied to Sylvia's defence, shouting, "She didn't do anything!" Now Gertie then burned Sylvia's fingertips with matches before further whipping her. A few days later, Gertie repeatedly whipped Jenny with the police belt after she reportedly stole a single tennis shoe from the school to wear on her strong foot.、Mm. The level of abuse here—it's just you know. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Off the rails. Now, the Lycan siblings were fearful of notifying either family members or adults at their school of the increasing incidents of abuse and neglect they were enduring, as both were afraid that doing so would only worsen the situation, which I think is more than fair fear. Definitely. Jenny, in particular, struggled against the urge to notify family members, as she had been threatened by Gertie that she would herself be abused and tortured to the same degree as her sister if she did so. Jenny was also subjected to bullying by girls in her neighbourhood, in addition to occasionally being ridiculed or beaten whenever she alluded to Sylvia's situation. Now, in July and August, both Lester and Elizabeth Lykins would occasionally return to Indianapolis, 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 to visit their daughters whenever their travel schedule afforded them the opportunity. I just think this is possibly one of the worst elements of this story, and we've talked about other stories, Kate, where there's that people are kidnapped or withheld or. They have the opportunity to escape or even、yeah. meet with their loved ones, but because of the situation, which is what's so diabolical about these scenarios, is that 
you can see your family, but you can't tell them what's going on, so you're trapped. Yeah. It's just yucky. So in July and August, oh yeah, I said that. The last occasion Lester and Elizabeth visited their daughters was on October 5th. And on this occasion, neither girl exhibited any visible sign of distress about their mistreatment to their parents. This was likely because both were in the presence of Gertie and her children at the time. Yeah, I now, probably wouldn't be saying anything. No. Now, almost immediately after Lester and Elizabeth had left the Banaszewski household on their final visit, Gertie turned to face Sylvia and stated, What are you going to do now, Sylvia? Now they're gone. It's like it's beyond sadistic, right? Because the, yeah. the torment, it's proper torment. Ugh. Now, on one occasion in September, the girls encountered their older sister, Diana, at a local park. Both Jenny and Sylvia informed Diana about the abuse they were enduring at the hands of their caregiver, adding that Sylvia was being specifically targeted for physical abuse and almost always for things she had never said nor done. Neither sister mentioned the actual address where they resided at, and initially, Diana believed her sisters must have been exaggerating their claims regarding the scope of their mistreatment. Mm. It would be hard to believe. It would because be. Because of how ridiculous it is. And I know we're talking like different times, different generations. It was a lot more common back then to use some physicality. Corporal punishment. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Not that that makes it okay, but. Mm. Kind of err on the on the safety side here, don't you think? Yeah. Several weeks prior to this, Sylvia and Jenny had encountered at uh, encountered Diana in the same park while in the company of eleven-year-old Marie Banaszewski, and Sylvia had been given a sandwich to eat when she mentioned to her sister that she was hungry. Now Sylvia remained silent about the matter, although Marie revealed this fact to her family in late September. Shut up, Marie. Ugh. Now, in response, Gertie accused Sylvia of engaging in gluttony before she and Paula choked and bludgeoned her. The pair then subjected uh, Sylvia to a scalding bath in order to cleanse her of sin, with Gertie grabbing Sylvia's hair and repeatedly banging her head against the bath to revive her whenever she fainted. Oh, yeah, cool. I'm, uh, you know... I'm only going to say this once, but the role of religion here and sin and it's just pisses me off. It's so horrible. Shortly after this incident, the father of a neighborhood boy named Michael John Monroe phoned the high school to anonymously report that a girl with open sores across her entire body was living at the Banaszewski household. As Sylvia had not attended school for several days, a school nurse visited the East New York Street to investigate these claims. Gertie claimed to the nurse that Sylvia had run away from home the previous week and that she was unaware of her actual whereabouts, adding that Sylvia was out of control and that her open sores were a result of Sylvia's refusal to maintain decent personal hygiene. Ugh. She's got bad vibes about a bath, you know. (laughs) Exactly. Now, Gertie further claimed that Sylvia had a bad influence on both of her own children and her sister Jenny. The school made no further investigations concerning Sylvia's welfare. Kate, could, would that happen today at your school? Um, no. No, it wouldn't. We've got pretty 
um, yeah, there's pretty strict policies put in place. Exactly. And I can't say it'd go unnoticed. That's for sure. Probably, um, you know, I don't know how many days she had off when her face was beaten so much that her caregiver broke her wrist. Um, But I'm sure there were plenty of other, you know, incidences. And if she'd turned up and someone had seen that. Yeah, there's, yeah. I mean, there's a whole policy. It's called mandatory reporting. We have to. It's not a choice for us. If we're, something's disclosed or we, you know, think about something, we have to do it by law. So we don't get a choice. Not that you need a choice, you do it regardless, but still. I know, yeah, that's right. Even if they say not to say anything, it's that's not, yeah. If you hear it or you see it, you got to do it. Now, the immediate neighbours of the Benazuski family were a middle-aged couple named Raymond and Phyllis Vermillion. Both initially viewed Gertie as an ideal caregiver for the, for the Lycan sisters and both had visited the Banaszewski residence on two occasions while the girls had been under Gertie's care. On both occasions, however, the Vermillions witnessed Paula physically abusing Sylvia, who on both occasions had a black eye, mm. and openly boasting about her mistreatment of the child to them. Upon their second visit to the Banaszewski household, both observed Sylvia to appear extremely meek and somewhat zombified in nature. Nevertheless, the Vermillions never reported Sylvia's evident mistreatment to the authorities. You know what? I've got absolutely zero sympathy for, you know, the Vermillions. You saw it. You could have said something. And what happens in this story is also partially your fault here too. And I know that's being harsh, but I hope they fucking live with it. Like, Hey, it's our podcast. We can have whatever opinions we want. Just, I'm, I'm a real bit, and I think it's the work that I do, Kate. A part of my yeah. work is coaching and teaching people to speak up and speak out. Yeah. And I don't care if you're worried about offending someone or being seen as rude or hurting someone's feelings. Fuck people's feelings. Someone's being beaten to death. Fuck their feelings. Say something. Say yeah. something. It's that same thing we talked about at the start of the podcast. I've forgotten the story, but it's like, you know, when you when that person got in the car and was mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't want to be rude and ask to be dropped off because I'm feeling uncomfortable because you don't want to be rude or offend someone. And I'm like, yeah, but it could save your life. Yeah, mate. Be rude. Oh, I'm on my high horse today. OK. <laughs> giddy, <laughs> Love it. Giddy up. Now, on or about October 1st, Diana Shoemaker, that's the sister, discovered that her sisters were at the Banaszewski residence. She visited the property in an attempt to initiate regular contact. Gertie, however, refused to allow Diana entry to the property, stating that she had received permission from their parents not to allow either of the girls to see her. She then ordered Diana to leave the property. Approximately two weeks later, Diana encountered Jenny by chance, close to the home and inquired as to Sylvia's welfare and she was informed I can't tell you or I'll get in trouble Ooh, red flag oh, yeah it's getting serious things are going to escalate now because <clears throat> they Let's weren't go. already we're going clackety clack up the little roller coaster clack 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 oh, clack yeah. hold on everybody <laughs> Now, due to the increase in the frequency and brutality of the torture and mistreatment Sylvia was subjected to, she gradually became incontinent. She was denied any access to the bathroom, being forced to wet herself. 
As a form of punishment for her incontinence, on October 6th, Gertie threw Sylvia into the basement and tied her up. It was here Sylvia was often kept naked, rarely fed and frequently deprived of water. Occasionally she was tied to the railing of the basement stairs with her feet barely touching the ground. Oh my God. In the weeks prior to locking Sylvia in the family basement, Gertie had increasingly abused and tormented Sylvia. She would occasionally falsely claim to the children in her household that either she, herself, or one of them had been receiving direct insults from Sylvia in the hope this would provoke them into belittling or attacking her. So she's playing her kids against one another. Yeah. On one occasion, Gertie held a knife aloft and challenged Sylvia to fight her back, to which like uh, Sylvia replied that she did not know how to fight. In response, Gertie inflicted a light scour wound to Sylvia's leg. Physical and mental torment such as this would occasionally pause when the Banaszewskis watched their favourite television shows, which is oh just God. such a sickening detail. Neighbourhood children were also occasionally charged five cents apiece to see the display of Sylvia's body and to humiliate, beat, scold, burn and ultimately mutilate her. How does somebody not say something? This is crazy. Mm. It, it, that's why it's this, like, this story is, I know it's so horrible to hear and listen to, but the extremeness of it all. Yeah. Like, wouldn't one of those kids be like, oh, mum, can I borrow five cents? Yeah, Johnny, what do you need it for? I'm going to go and see the, the girl who's tied up in the basement nude and been, the shit's been beaten out of her. Yeah. And I mean, the fear that I'm talking about here, Kate, is like as a parent and when you put your child in the care of somebody else, like trusting someone with your child, it wasn't a fear of mine, but until I've helped, you know, people pop out a couple of kids, it's, I'm like constantly thinking about it. It's such, it's a weird feeling. Yeah. Now, on one occasion, Gertie and her 12-year-old son, John Jr., rubbed urine and feces from Gertie's one-year-old son, son's diaper into Sylvia's mouth before giving her a cup of half-filled with water and stating the water was all she would receive for the remainder of the day. Oh, my God. On October 22nd, John Jr. tormented Sylvia by offering to allow her to eat a bowl of soup with her fingers and then quickly taking away the bowl uh, when lichens... Uh, by this stage suffering from extreme malnourishment, attempted to eat the food. Gertie eventually allowed Sylvia to sleep upstairs on the condition that she learned not to wet herself. That, that night, Sylvia whispered to Jenny to secretly give her a glass of water before falling asleep. Oh, my God. The following morning, Gertie discovered that uh, Sylvia had urinated on herself and as a punishment, Sylvia was forced to insert an empty glass Coca-Cola bottle into her vagina in the presence of the children where Gertie ordered her into the basement. Oh my glory. Shortly thereafter, Gertie shouted for Sylvia to return to the kitchen, then ordered her to strip naked before proclaiming to her, You've branded my daughters, now I'm going to brand you. She then began carving the words, I'm a prostitute and proud of it, onto Sylvia's abdomen with a heated needle. Oh my God. Yeah. She didn't even pick like a short phrase or one word. She didn't write just whore or slut or something like that. She's literally written like a whole half thesis. Yeah, she's... 
Yeah. She's a sick fuck. Now, when Gertie was unable to finish the branding, she instructed one of the neighbourhood children present, 14-year-old Richard Dean Hobbs, to finish etching the words into Sylvia's flesh, flesh as she took Jenny to a nearby grocery store. <clears throat> In what Hobbs would later insist were short, light etchings, he continued huh. to brand the text into Sylvia's abdomen as she clenched her teeth and moaned. Both Hobbs and 10-year-old Shirley Benazuski then led Sylvia into the basement where each proceeded to use an anchor bolt in an attempt to burn the letter S beneath Lycan's left breast. Although they applied one section of the loop backwards and this deep burn scar would resemble the number three. Oh. Gertie later taunted Sylvia by claiming she would never be able to marry due to the words carved on her stomach, stating, Sylvia, what are you going to do now? You can't get married now. What are you going to do? Weeping, Sylvia replied, I guess there's nothing I can do. Later that day... I feel like marriage is not on her top priority list at the moment. Exactly. A glass of water is probably on the top. It's so projecting all this crap that Gertie is... I just don't know. I, I understand Gertie had some unluck, unlucky times, but the jump yeah. from oh my god that to this is just... And that's where I think the role of religion comes in here. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it, and that might piss some people off, but don't give people a book of rules and torture and go, yeah, this is what should happen. Because mm. guess what? They're going to go reenact it. Anyway. the extremist. <clears throat> uh, later that day, Sylvia was forced to display the carving to neighbourhood children with Gertie claiming she had received the inscription at a sex party. <laughs> Gertie, I've been to many a sex party and I can tell you right now, none of that business has ever gone on. Yeah, come on, Gertie, get it together. Now that night... Maybe Gertie needs to go to a sex party. Oh, bloody well she should. Lighten up a bit. Now that night, Sylvia confided to her sister, Jenny, I know you don't want me to die, but I'm going to die, I can tell. The following day, Gertie woke uh, Sylvia, then forced her to write a letter as she dictated the contents, which were intended to mislead her parents into believing that Sylvia had run away from the household. The content of this letter was intended to frame a group of anonymous local boys for extensively abusing and mutilating Sylvia after she had initially agreed to engage in sexual relations with them before they inflicted the extreme abuse and torture upon her body. So Gertie's like, she's she's setting up an out for the whole thing. Yeah. After Sylvia had written this letter, Gertie finished formulating her plan to have John Jr. and Jenny blindfold Sylvia, then take her to a nearby wooded area known as Jimmy's Forest, and leave her there to die. After she had finished writing the letter, Sylvia was then again tied to the stair railing and offered crackers to eat, although she refused them, saying, give it to the dog, I don't want it. In response, Gertie forced the crackers into Sylvia's mouth before she and John beat her, particularly around the stomach. On October 25th, Sylvia attempted to escape from the basement after overhearing a conversation between Gertie and John pertaining to the family's plan to abandon her to die. She attempted to flee to the front door. However, due to her extensive injuries and general weakness, 
Gertie caught her before she could escape the property. Sylvia was then given crackers to eat but was unable to consume the food due to her extreme state of dehydration. Gertie forced the crackers into her mouth before repeatedly striking her face with a curtain rod until sections of the instrument were bent into right angles. Jesus. Stephanie's boyfriend, Coy, then took the curtain rod from Gertie and struck Sylvia one further time, rendering her unconscious. Gertie then dragged Sylvia into the basement. That evening, Sylvia desperately attempted to alert neighbours by screaming for help in hitting the walls of the basement with a spade. One immediate neighbour of the Banaszewskis would later inform police that she heard the desperate commotion and that she had identified the source as emanating from the basement of the property. But that, as the noise had suddenly ceased at approximately 3am, she then decided not to inform police about the disturbance. Oh, sure. Yeah, I heard screaming and banging and there's weird stuff going on, but it's stopped now, so never mind. So close, like... I can't think of the desperation. Poor Sylvia. We're almost done. You're doing really well, Kate. I know it's not exactly (laughs) a a jolly topic to talk about, but it's... No, I am actually, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm like enjoying the story from a perspective of like, I'm enjoying, but I'm enjoying the story. Yeah. Okay. By the morning of October 26th, Sylvia was unable to either speak intelligibly or correctly coordinate the movement of her limbs. Gertie moved Sylvia into the kitchen and having propped her back against a wall, attempted to feed her a donut and a glass of milk. She threw Sylvia to the floor in frustration when Sylvia was unable to correctly move the glass of milk to her lips. She was then returned to the basement. Shortly thereafter, Sylvia became delirious, repeatedly moaning and mumbling. When Paula asked her to recite the English alphabet, Sylvia was unable to recite anything beyond the first four letters or to raise herself off the ground. In response, Paula verbally threatened her to either stand up or she would inflict a long jump upon her. Gertie then ordered Sylvia, who had defecated, to clean herself. That afternoon, several of Sylvia's other tormentors gathered in the basement. Sylvia jerkingly moved her arms in an apparent attempt to point at the faces of the tormentors she could recognise, making statements such as, You're Ricky and you're Gertie, before Gertie tersely shouted, Shut up, you know who I am. Minutes later, Sylvia unsuccessfully attempted to bite into a rotten pear she had been given to eat, stating she could feel the looseness in her teeth. Upon hearing this, Jenny replied, Don't you remember, Sylvia? Your front tooth was knocked out when you were seven. Jenny then left Sylvia in the basement to perform gardening chores for neighbours in the hope of earning some spending money. Oh, cool. In an attempt to wash Sylvia, a laughing John sprayed her with a garden hose brought to the house that afternoon by Randy at Gertie's request. Sylvia again desperately attempted to exit the basement but collapsed before she could reach the stairs. In response to this effort, Gertie stamped upon Lycan's head before standing and staring at her several moments. Shortly after 5.30pm, Richard returned to the um, Banaszewski residence and immediately proceeded to the basement. He slipped on the wet basement stairs and fell heavily to the floor of the basement to be confronted with the sight of Stephanie crying and cuddling Sylvia's emaciated and lacerated body after she had been ordered by her mother to clean Sylvia. 
Stephanie and Richard then decided to give Sylvia a warm, soapy bath and dress her in new clothes. They then laid her upon a mattress in one of the bedrooms as Sylvia muttered her final wish that her daddy was here and that Stephanie would take her home. Stephanie then turned to her younger sister, Shirley, exclaiming, Oh, she'll be all right. Oh, yeah, she'll be fine. (laughs) When Stephanie realised that Sylvia was not breathing, she attempted to apply mouth-to-mouth resuscitation as Gertie repeatedly shouted to the children in the house that Sylvia was faking her death. Sylvia was 16 years old when she finally succumbed to her injuries. And that is the end of part one of this episode. Oh, oh my goodness. And I know it's really difficult to hear, folks, but I really do want to do a second part where we find out how this all comes out. Because think of the level of detail, Kate. Normally we don't get that insight. Yeah. And I know it's hard to hear that level of detail, but... That's it's why important I think, to the story, though. Like, it's yeah. why, yeah, it's the same as if you were reading it or you true crime pods and stuff. And I know it sounds strange, but when I hear these sorts of things, it's like with hearing about, about really intense wars that have happened in the past. I think it's important for people to hear these stories sometimes and to do the victims justice by, by listening to the detail. It's not reveling yep. in it, but it's like... Sylvia's story needs to be heard. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Nah, I think, and I think you told it really well. I'm really looking forward to part two to find out what happens, particularly to Gertie. And yeah, I want to know what happens. Yeah. So anyway, that is part one of The Babysitter from Hell, Gertie. Woo! Well done, Dom. Well told. Thank you. No worries. So, Kate, next well, week, what have, have we got? What's in store for us? What's in store? Well, last week I did Lost in the Desert. So, uh, next week I'm going to be doing Lost in the Snow. Ooh, chilly, chilly, yeah. burr. Chilly, 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 <laughs> chilly times. So, I just like my little, uh, my little bits, uh, you know, my thin link stories. Um, so, I'm going to keep with that, that sort of uh, format at the moment. Love it. I cannot wait. (laughs) Well, Well, hopefully you are uh, feeling good and that your voice repairs itself slash you finish going through puberty. (laughs) And I look forward to talking to you next week. Yes. Then thank you for listening, folks. Don't forget to check out our social, Shitting Bricks podcast. Come talk to us. Say hi. Check out our Patreon um, and the Boo Pod Network. And we will see you same time next week. See you later, guys. Love you. Bye-bye. Oh, Lizzie, give me the other half of that scotch finger, would you, darling? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's a wrap. Big shout-out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush, and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.